The San Diego Padres might just be the best team in the NL West. Maybe even in the entire NL. This is On The Rise Podcast, Season 2. Listen now on all major platforms as well as midtownradio.ca weekends at 10 a.m. Welcome your host, Sam Donzik and Evan Brown. Welcome to episode 41 of On The Rise Podcast. It's hot out of the oven. The San Diego Padres have made two big moves in acquiring aces Yu Darvish, as well as Victor Caratini, Darvish's personal catcher, from the Cubs, as well as Blake Snell from the Tampa Bay Rays, while only giving up uh, starting pitcher Zach Davies and eight top-of-the-line prospects that were in their system, including a Canadian named Owen Casey, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. Interesting prospect there. But uh, they have also signed KBO, Korean uh, baseball star, uh, shortstop slash third baseman, kind of a utility type player. Ha Seong Kim, I believe is how I, uh, how you pronounce it, to a four-year deal. Uh, so this team right now, their rotation for 2021 is looking up to be a rotation of Yu Darvish, who was up for a couple Cy Young nominate, uh, a couple Cy Young votes last year. Blake Snell, who had that incident in the playoffs, but after a slow start, really started to pick it up later on in the season. Uh, young, young Chris Paddock, young D- Denilson Lamott, and a couple other pitching prospects that could be moved or could be kept for a fifth starter. And then you even have in 2022, after Tommy John surgery, adding Mike Clevenger into the mix, who they got at the trade deadline. So, Sam, my question is right now, does this team appear to be better than their division rival in the L.A. Dodgers? Because right now, looking at it, they have a stacked rotation i mean even their fifth starter could be a, a, per jeff Passon could be a couple different guys one of them uh, uh lucchese morion weathers all different guys they could have in there but even uh i don't remember his first name but uh his last name's gore and he's arguably the best uh pitching prospect in the mlb right now who they didn't have to give up to get either of these aces which uh i think is crazy to uh, to think about and some some even uh, say, including Jeff Passan, think he it, um, the Padres uh, have the best prospect pool in baseball still, despite giving up eight top-of-the-line prospects in uh, in these deals to get top-of-the-line pitching. They, they're clearly not going to be done. And to me, I think with their star-studded lineup, uh, Tatis is going to be outstanding next season. And now you have the pitching that they've so desperately needed. You could even take one of those uh, fifth starters that, I mean, injuries you, would mean you want to keep a couple of those guys back just in case. But you could deal like a Luchizi or a Morgan and get a bullpen pitcher out of the deal. And now you're set, really, because... If once you have that uh, relieving course set up, you already have an outstanding uh, rotation for the next few years, and you already have the basis of really good uh, offensive team uh, with a base of Fernando Tatis. Like the Padres are going to be scary good over the next couple seasons, and I think they are better than the Dodgers at this point. I mean, the Dodgers still have yet to uh, make a few moves in the offseason, like we know they will, and it's going to be hard for them to beat the Dodgers, but. In a one-on-one game, I think sometimes I would still take the Dodgers. That would be a tough choice. But in a over a series, I think the depth that the rotation has uh, for the San Diego Padres, like obviously the Dodgers do have still Kershaw, Bueller, uh, a couple other names in there. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank, but obviously when they had Ryu, they had a much deeper, uh, deeper rotation. But now, the, uh, the Padres, I think, have the deeper one. And if you go into a seven-game series, I'm taking the Padres, man. This Dodgers team doesn't look as good as the previous was. They still have David Price, yes. Who knows how he plays coming off of a year where he opted out for COVID. But I think, honestly, this Padres team looks the deepest it's ever been. And I think this is the best challenge for the NL West to take down the Dodgers we've seen in years. It has been tough to take down the Dodgers uh, uh, pretty much every year, consistently putting up a 100-win season, unless, of course, you're in a 60-game season like we were last year. Um, but I think this Padres team could take it all the way. And now even with uh, Haseon Kim, who I know the Blue Jays were interested in, just as you, another utility bat, uh, I think in the KBO last year. Let me see what his reported stats were. Even though he was playing in Korea, he's 25 years old. And he hit 306 last year, 30 home runs uh, with the, let me see how this, uh, the Kawoom Heroes. 
they're totally didn't butcher that name hopefully i don't know but either way i think uh some intrigue intriguing potential with this padres team and i think they could they could be better than the rival dodgers and i think i would take the padres in a seven game series now if you're going one-on-one uh just a one game wild card game for example that's a bit of a different story yeah, I would agree with you. I think that if you look at it as a one-on-one matchup, the Dodgers are the better team. But over a seven-game series with the with the players that they've added, Darvish, Snell, and you look at that rotation for next year, it's deadly. Like, yeah, you know, you look at the Dodgers, and yeah, they got Walker Peeler. Yeah, they got Clayton Kershaw. They also do uh, David Price as well. But we don't know how exa- how effective he will be, again, like you said, because he's coming off a year where he opted out. So unless he's been training every single day, which I highly doubt that he would be, like, you know, every other day because, you know, he doesn't want to switch. It wouldn't be – it wouldn't make sense, you know, if he was going to not play then. So regardless, but – I think, yeah, as well, like, I think obviously there's two sides to like baseball teams. There's like the pitching and then the hitting, right? Like, you know, the pitching is very good for the Padres. They can out pitch you, but then also you need to score runs. And I don't know exactly. I'm not sure how many, how many really hitters they've added with these pitching prospects of, and maybe that's their, maybe that's their idea is that they're, they're a defensive team. Now they're just going to not, they're not going to allow a lot of runs and they're just going to score one to two runs. And that's how they're going to win games. And if that's how they want to do that, that's fine. They just need to have that identity out there that they're not going to be the team that's going to score, you know, five, six runs, seven, nine runs a game. They're going to score two or three, but they're going to just shut you down defensively. They're, they're going to allow one run, zero runs all game or all season long. And I think that's what something you have to do is if you're considered to be the Padres is okay. Yeah. We have this great lineup for rotation for 2021, but you know, if we don't have a lot of hitting, I don't know exactly how good the Padres were last year with like how many runs they scored or, you know, how many RBIs they had, but if they were up in the league, that's great because then they have a strong chance against the Dodgers who are very hit heavy. Like, you know, they do score a lot of runs. So I think that's the way that you have to look at this. So I think in, in a hindsight, yeah, they are the better team than the division rival than LA Dodgers with their rotation and their pickups. But as well, it is a, it's, it's a hitting and pitching league. It's two things, two parts of baseball. So um, well, also running base as well, but mostly hitting and pitching, but yeah. <laughs> how good you can, how, how many, how many runs you can score, how many runs you can allow, you know, like how many runs yeah. you can stop. So and look at, looking at the Padres roster, I mean, um obviously pitching is there they have i mean they have still a couple guys in the back of their pen like emilio pagan is another option back there but like they're just their hitters looking at their hitters obviously catching with caratini in there now austin nola catching is going to be what it is they're more focused on the pitching side of things anyways uh you still have tatis and manny machado there's your two big bats i mean eric hosmer is probably gonna be your starting first baseman Eh, that's okay. Could be better. Jake Cronenworth probably starting in second again. And eh, could be better. Probably more likely that it'll be uh, Kim sliding in there uh, at second base. So there's your first upgrade. Um, and then looking at the outfield, I think they probably would want their their areas to improve. Still, are outfield and uh, in the bullpen because I mean you have Will Myers. He's had his ups and downs. He's a question mark player he could either have a very uh very solid season or a very bad season uh Trent Grisham is on the up and up he's an intriguing player that uh, could be uh, uh that has that is young and has a, a good upside in there uh Greg Allen not really anybody uh and of course the interesting one to me is going to be Tommy Pham and I mean he's had again another player that has had his ups and downs I think they do want to go out and get a better outfield bat if they truly want to uh, be considered a title contender. Um, but it's all going to depend on how Tommy Pham comes up, back off of injury because uh, it was such an interesting storyline last year with Tommy Pham because uh, he actually, the reason he missed so much time is because he was stabbed, I believe, and was put in hospital for a while. Yeah, I know. That, that's that's of- a good unexpected turn. I was like, oh, you know, like he, he had a cold, you know, he was sick. It's like, no, he was stabbed. No. Yeah, he, he was, and it was a such an interesting story to follow last year. And I, I mean, I think he is has made a pretty. I think he's made a full recovery. Well, he's obviously made a full recovery, but I think he is back to baseball activities. So it's gonna. Uh, we'll see how he is uh, once he gets back to games in the summer. But I do think that the Padres might look to add another outfielder in there. I don't think it's going to be like a George Springer type of level, which is who the Jays have been linked with multiple times now, but it could be like a, a a middle depth guy. I don't know who would be out there. Like maybe like a Josh Reddick, for example, Uh, just a name out there that I think is a free agent, but anyways, 
overall, I do think, yeah, this Padres team is very much set for the future and it's going to be fun to watch for the next few seasons. And I am very glad they're on the other side of the country and in the other side of, uh, other side of, uh, other side of the MLB, because I would not want to face this team. I don't think anybody on the in, in the NL West wants to face this team in a three game series. Like this is going to be a hard team to beat and they are going to blow some teams out this year. And I'm all here for it because the Jays don't have to play them much <laughs> if at all, depending on, depending on the season, but yeah. Alrighty, that wraps up this segment of Hot Out of the Oven regarding the two big moves the Padres made in acquiring Yu Darvish and Blake Snell, setting up, uh, setting themselves up nicely for the future. Alrighty, moving on into our next segment of the day, we have our NFL Week 17 preview and sort of playoff predictions here, as we have two very interesting races going into the final week of the NFL season, starting off with the weird and wacky nfc east that is uh we have the cowboys versus giants coming up this weekend and the eagles versus the washington football team which was flexed to sunday night football uh basically how it stands right now is the eagles are out that's the one thing we know for sure and if the washington football team who currently lead the division beat the eagles in that game then that's the division the washington football team will make the playoffs but if the eagles beat washington then whoever wins the Cowboys Giants game would move on into the into the playoffs. So basically, they have the Cowboys Giants game first. Figure out who uh, who will win if the who will win the division if the football team can't. And then you have the Sunday night football game, which everybody will everybody who cheers for teams in the NFC East because I don't think other teams really care much about this division anymore uh, will watch this game and uh, against the uh, between the Eagles and Washington football team, Sam, who wins this very bad, but somehow making it somewhere team uh, division going to fair. And what, what are your kind of predictions for both games coming up this weekend? Well, when you look at the Cowboys and Giants game, uh, you got Andy Dalton in for the Cowboys, which is a positive. He's been playing strong over the past few weeks. You know, he beat the Eagles. He beat a pretty good, solid Eagles defense last week, which uh, has been considered good. Um, The Giants, on the other hand, Daniel Jones really hasn't just that impressed me that much this season. Honestly, Colt McCoy has been better at quarterback, to be perfectly honest. Um, So I would probably say the Cowboys would win that game. Uh, but now going to the Eagles and Washington football team, I'm taking the Eagles to win this because Dwayne Haskins is not playing because he was released actually. Um, so oh, that, that, was that there was that <laughs> whole story and stuff like that, which we probably won't, which we, which we will not get into that whole story about him being released and stuff early, only a second. It's like not even his second. Well, it's the second pro season actually. Um, but the Washington football team doesn't really have a solid quarterback to outperform Jalen Hurts. Um, but I think that the Eagles have to have a good defensive plan, a good plan to help um, to contain at least Chase Young, because that Washington defense can, it's been proven to win games for them. So I think that's going to be something to watch, watch out for. So I'm going to say probably, I'm going to take the Cowboys to win the division, because I just think they're going to beat the Giants, and then the Eagles are going to be the Washington football team. And then they're going to lose, proceed to lose in the playoffs. So I'm just going to say that now. Like, it's it's factual. It's factual. Like, you yeah. know, they're, they're, they're playing <laughs> See, against... They're planning it. Well, I don't know, because it's going to be interesting to see who they play in that seven seed. Because if you look at the playoff picture right now, that's what's so interesting is that the Bears or the Bears would make it. I think the Bears have to win. If they're winning, they're in. They, they win and they're in. But the Rams are still in as well. And the Cardinals. It's, so it's, it's really interesting, which we'll get into as well. So possibly they could be most likely playing the Bears. Um, I think the Bears will kind of hold that seven seed. Because the Rams and Cardinals, because the Rams and Cardinals are both nine and six, so or the Cardinals, the Rams are nine and six, and the Cardinals are eight and seven. But anyways, that's my take on that. Um, the the Cowboys will win the division, um, and yeah, that's that's what's gonna happen. What are your thoughts? Who who do you think is gonna win? For me, I it's a win win, no matter what. I am happy no matter what happens here because if the Cowboys somehow win this division, which I think there's a decent chance of doing, Washington football team now. I don't even know who their quarterback would be. They don't really have many options. They're just going to rely on their defense to hopefully get them in a playoff. I don't even know. Maybe this was a move saying we don't want to make the playoffs even. who uh, Getting rid of Dwayne Haskins, we'll see. I think Jalen Hurts, uh, obviously now Carson Wentz is upset because he lost a starting job, which, screw you, Carson Wentz, you're not good at football. Um, 
Jalen Hurts is a much better fit for the Eagles at quarterback. I think the Eagles do have a chance of beating Washington football team, and it's going to come down to who wins the Cowboys-Giants game. And, yeah, like you said, Daniel Jones uh, hasn't looked strong this season. The Giants haven't looked strong this season. I think the Cowboys have a very good chance of beating them and taking that division. Uh, And, I mean, look, the Cowboys are what they are. They've had so many injuries this season. Obviously, losing Dak was the biggest one. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott set an off year partially because of not having Dak, partially just because Zeke has down years some years. Uh, plus, plus, it's hard this year because morale, you're in the worst division in the league and none of you are making it to the play, uh, playoffs on a winning record. Like, this, this team should not be making the playoffs, but because each division has a winner, that has to go. And some, somebody has to go. So the Cowboys, if they make it, great. You have Andy Dalton, who I don't I don't know how much playoff experience he has, but he at least has maybe like a game <laughs> um, that's going to be leading you at quarterback. Because, uh, but I mean, just overall, the Cowboys, the Cowboys are such an interesting story because if you if Dak Prescott was healthy, the Cowboys run away with this division, in my opinion, because they wouldn't have had this whole debate over is Andy Dalton going to be injured or if Andy Dalton can perform properly because. I mean, Zeke maybe has a slightly better season, but Zeke is going to be up or down depending on the year. But, like, CeeDee Lamb has been really good. I love that pick, and he is proving to be one of the best uh, up-and-coming wide receivers, in my opinion. Made some incredible catches these past few weeks. Uh, Michael Gallup has been impressive. Like, the Cowboys' offense, let's not focus on their defense. Their defense is what it is because of injuries and stuff like that. But the Cowboys' offense is a pretty solid offense. And I think they run away this with this division if Dak is fully healthy. Um, I'm not saying they're going out and winning the Super Bowl, but they at least run away with this division, and this wouldn't be happening in my opinion. Um, but even if they – so say they lose to the Giants or say Washington wins, I don't care. We get a higher draft pick. That's totally fine. It's building for the future. Right now, all I care about is, okay, Cowboys, you do what you want. This year is a write-off anyways. If you make the playoffs, great. I'll be happy. I'll watch the playoff game. I won't care how it turns. I mean, I'll care how it turns out, and I'll be happy if they make it far, but I won't be too upset if they lose because it's like – You're not going to be heartbreaking if they lose to – Exactly. Uh, like a this isn't, team, like to a different this team isn't a Leafs team that's supposed to dominate their first-round opponent. This is a Cowboys team that is – barely in because they are the leaders of the worst division in football. Like, uh, and if they don't make it in, well then great. We're building for the future. Anyways, we're just, this year does not matter for the Cowboys. They are all focused on next year. Uh, No matter what happens, happens. It's going to be a matter of getting back next year, reloading with uh, an impressive sophomore season, hopefully from CD lamb continued success from Michael Gallup, a better season from Ezekiel Elliott. And for goodness sakes, a re-signed and healthy Dak Prescott, because that is something we need going into next season. If we can't get that, there are going to be some issues and maybe build build up some more defense, uh, defensive acumen as well. Moving on into our next kind of uh, preview coming up for week 17, a big week. Uh, we have the Cardinals versus Rams. Now, the Rams lost last week to the Seahawks in what was a highly, uh, highly uh, viewed game because that was very important for that division uh the cardinals coming off of another uh, loss as well it's pretty much win and you're in for these teams so who's winning sam can the rams back up john wolford i think that's how it's pronounced lead them to victory after jared goff broke his thumb in this past week so he will be out uh for this game and how effective will kyler murray be who is also dealing with some underlying injuries there. I can't remember what he had, but it was, who is winning this? Game? Yeah, it was, it was a lower leg or lower leg injury for Kyler Murray. And it's interesting because it's pretty much, because it's like the Rams back of John Wolford is an AAF guy. So he hasn't, um, what is that? I don't, I don't think he's never, he's never like played in the NFL. He, I think it was AF, his AAF, AAF stats, if I can say that correctly. I think I have him here. So he was 130 of 206 passing for 1600 yards, 14 touchdowns, seven interceptions at a quarterback rating of 95.9 which isn't bad, you know, um, so it, which isn't bad for who it was, but again, that's in the AAF. So um, that's, I don't know how exactly how that relates to the NFL competition level, but for me, it's like, I don't know if Kyler Murray can go in there and he can be somewhat effective, then I think they can win. But the biggest problem is like the Rams defense is still there, right? The Rams defense can easily just, you know, like shut down, the, shut down Kyler Murray and Joel Wolford can hand it off to, um, 
but the biggest thing as well with the Rams is that they don't have a guy like Todd Gurley anymore. Like, I'm not sure. Like, no, they, they have a decent running back, but they, like, if they had a guy like Todd Gurley, I'd be like, okay, hand the ball off to Todd Gurley 95 times and he'll go win you the game or something like that. Or like hundred, yeah. like he'll go win you the game, like 80, 80% of the snaps he's going to take, or like 75% of the snaps. You just can't, it's kind of like a Taysom Hill situation where it's like, you have this backup quarterback who, who doesn't have a lot of experience actually playing quarterback. Right. Um, compared to like, you know, with the Cowboys situation where it's like, it's Andy Dalton who's coming, who's played quarterback, who's been on a team and stuff. So it's different because it's like, you have a quarterback that isn't really that well experienced. So it's, this is really, it's a tough pick to say who's going to win really. I, I want to go with the Rams, but because the defense, but I think, I, I think I'm going to pick the Cardinals to win because the fact they do have Kyler Murray still playing. He's, he's not, he's not totally hundred percent. He does, he does have the lower leg injury, but I feel like he's probably going to be pumped full of drugs or something's going to be put inside him <laughs> to be, to like, to like, he's going to like, you know, given something and his legs going to be perfectly fine, magical or something enough to make him good enough oh, on Sunday. There's going to be a few cortisone shots involved. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about that. <laughs> so, um, and it's interesting because again, like last week as well, they played the 49ers team, which they really should have bit. They should have beat them, but they didn't. Now, if they had, they beat them, they would have been nine and six right now. And it would have been a lot closer. Either way, it would have been a win and you're in and stuff kind of situation because the only difference is now that one finished, one team finishes nine and seven, will go, one other goes 10 and six. But now with this is like one's nine and six and one eight and seven. So regardless, if the Cardinals do still win, they still, oh, they'll take the, uh, they'll beat the Rams over uh for the last playoff spot in uh, regards or the, the six seed the six seed so in my mind i'm taking the cardinals to win i just think that kyler murray is going to be a little more effective than john wolford but if the rams somehow able or able to win then i think it's going to be a miracle for sure yeah it's so interesting because like you said with the rams like i think the best example for me is um i mean you mentioned the saints which alvin Kamara who could have predicted the fact that he came out six touchdowns after not having a hundred plus yards for so many weeks in a row. That was a crazy thing. Um, but uh, the best example I can think of is literally with the Tennessee Titans, it does not matter who you could put a quarterback. I could literally go a quarterback and just hand it off to uh, Derrick Henry, like 95 times a game in a game. And we'd still have a pretty good chance of winning. That man is a beast. You could literally hand it to him every single time it doesn't matter who's at quarterback. So if the Rams had Todd Gurley uh, from a few seasons ago, they would just, it doesn't matter who's the, uh, who's the quarterback. He can do a couple tosses here and there, but the main thing is going to be using the run ball, but they don't really have that. And I think the Rams are going to have to, it's so hard for this game because the Rams don't have the offense that the Cardinals do, uh, but the Cardinals don't have the defense that the Rams do. So, even if Kyler Murray with the Cardinals, the other interesting thing with the Cardinals is though, is with Kyler Murray, he is a quarterback that is mobile. He uses his legs a lot. He moves around. He is an option as well as his passes, as well as going to his running back. He prides himself on being an option. And with a lower leg injury, you can play on that just fine. You don't even need the cortisone shot, not necessarily, but you'll just be a more pass first quarterback which teams can expect. But with Kyler Murray, he is a guy that is going to be a like a Lamar Jackson. He's going to take it himself sometimes and get you that first down when you need to. So with a leg injury, it's going to be hard for him to move around as much. And I think that's a big part of the Cardinals game. But on the other hand, as well as the fact that the Rams defense, Aaron Donald is going to be on you in an instant, if that's the case. And if you can't move out of that pocket and if necessary, there are going to be a lot of sacks in this game. But, on the other hand, if you can just air it out to DeAndre Hopkins a few times and make a couple plays, that is going to be a very good advantage. And I think, yeah, sorry, you go ahead. Yeah, I think this is going to be a very interesting game. Like, nonetheless, it's going to, like, I'm definitely going to want to tune in to watch because, you know, it's going to be whoever's going to come second into the NFC West. But I think it's because of all these different factors that you've listed. It's like, okay, does like for the game plan for the Cardinals, it's like, okay, you know, Kyler Murray is a mobile quarterback, like you said, and if you can't really use his legs, how effective can he be in regards to throwing the ball to DeAndre Hopkins? Because DeAndre Hopkins can be covered by Jalen Ramsey. And Jalen Ramsey is one of the best cornerbacks in the league, you know? So, um, and I'm trying to see if I can pull up actually the last time that they played, just regards to who had, um, so just see if we can pull up when the last time they played. No, it doesn't want to, stats-wise. Okay, so yeah, the Rams won 38-28. to so that was a much different game and they were, they were able to dominate the Cardinals. But again, that's with Jared Goff and that's with, you know, that was, you know, earlier on. 
And that's kind of when the Cardinals were in a bit of a slump, but I think it's still, it's just, yeah, it's just very interesting with all the different angles that like you said as well, because yeah, the Cardinals could just air it out to uh, DeAndre Hopkins and as well, will, you know, will Aaron Donald make a big enough difference to create enough sacks? Like he can easily just have a field day and shut down Kyler Murray, oh, which I think yeah. is going to be super. Aaron Donald fantasy owners are just going to be so happy in this one. He yeah. is just going to, he is, he has a potential for a record setting amount of sacks with a injured Kyler Murray who cannot move as much. And a, I don't know how good the Cardinals line is, but it's Aaron Donald. It might not matter. Um, so if I'm going to make my pick for this game, it's tough because the Rams, I don't know how they're going to score, but I also don't know how the Cardinals are going to score because of the Rams' defense. This is going to have to be a low-scoring affair. There's no doubt about that. It's just, I think I have to give it to the Cardinals. I, I, I want to give it to the Rams. I do, because their defense is going to be effective. But as good as Jalen Ramsey and Aaron, Aaron Donald is, DeAndre Hopkins, I think, is going to just make a stupid, ridiculous catch. That's what it's going to come down to. It's literally going to be like the play against the Bills earlier on in the season. It's going to be a stupid, ridiculous catch. Um, even though he's matched up against a really tough cornerback, it's just going to be a ridiculous catch to win the game, and it's going to be a low, low-scoring affair because both teams do not have the offense or defense. Uh, or both have the offense against defenses that – is going to make this game tough. I don't know. And yeah, well, sorry. Yeah, one last point before we go, before we go into our next segment is that Cam Akers is the running back. Like that's, I just looked at the Rams depth chart. He's their number one running back who is questionable as well. But if you look at his season stats, he only has like, I'm pretty sure two touchdowns and like 500 run, rushing yards, which is like tied for like 33rd and tied for 41st of like running backs. Like he is just, so then again, like, like the first to further my point as well, um, it's just not going to be effective. And I did look back at the um, game between the Cardinals and Rams. DeAndre Hopkins was held to eight catches, which I think we covered this. We covered this game a little bit. We, we did, yeah. So DeAndre Hopkins was held to eight receptions, 52 yards, and a touchdown. Dan Arnold had two touchdowns, 160. So again, you know, he did a pretty good job, uh, Jalen Ramsey did, with covering DeAndre Hopkins. So I think the Rams do have a decent chance, with the, but the really the reality is their defense is going to have to win in this game no matter what. That's that's the truth. Maybe the maybe Cooper Cup has an outstanding game. That uh, that could be the case, you know. For sure. It's all going to come down to John Wolford. Really, it's going to. I don't even know what to. I don't know what to expect from him. He could be a, an amazing passer, but just a bad decision making quarterback, like a Mitchell, Mitchell Trubisky, or he could be a Lamar Jackson where he runs it himself. I have no idea what to expect from the Rams in this game, and it'll be certainly one to watch because both teams are very injured and both teams want to make these playoffs and both teams, once they make the playoffs, will have a better advantage because no longer will DeAndre Hopkins be guarded by Jalen Ramsey after this game, if they can make it. And the Rams hopefully will have Jared Goff back for the week, uh, for the first week of the playoffs, if they win. That wraps up our NFL week 17 preview and playoff predictions coming up for Two very important matchups, uh, well, three total overall very important matchups between the Cowboys, Giants, Eagles, and Washington football team, and the Cardinals and Rams. Moving on into our last topic of the day, NBA early season reactions. The first week of the NBA season is in the books, and there are many interesting storylines to talk about here. Uh, Starting off with the Raptors start 0-2 on the season, losing a tough one against the Pelicans and a heartbreaker against the Spurs. The refs, I watched both games, refs, very, very questionable in the Spurs game, but we're going to move past that. Uh, what do the Raptors need to fix sort of uh, going forward, Sam? And should fans be worried right now? Because word around the league, I mean, 0-2 is a bad start, but it's not like a ton of teams that are good or doing better. Like the Cavs lead the East at 3-0. and things are going to change in the standings. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause I've seen like people like, you know, like, like that. I, like, I know and stuff that I've met and they're like, they're like, Oh God, like it's not the Raptors year. It's not a championship squad. We're so bad. It's like, dude, we're two games into the season. Okay. Like y'all need to chill. Okay. Like, yeah, we lost the Pelicans. They're a pretty good team. They got Zion. They got Brandon Ingram, the Spurs. We choked that game. Not going to lie. We were winning with like, we were, you know, it was like 114, 110. And then all of a sudden it was like 119. I was like, oh, they went on a 9 run in the last. I was like, how is that possible? So really what they need to do is they need to just, I think in the games, like I haven't looked at the stats regards to, I know they really haven't been shooting the three ball well, 
Um, overall, I don't think the past two games, um, you know, referees aside, you can worry about the referees or not. But regardless, the, the bottom line is that you have to win the games without the refs. That's what you have to do. You have to, you have to really, and I know this is going to sound super cliche, but if you are more effective with your shot selection, either be a higher three-point percentage and a higher field goal percentage, you're going to win the game. It's, it's like numbers don't lie when you look at games where teams lose is because they struggled to shoot the three ball or they struggled to shoot uh, free throws or they were just out rebounded like certain numbers certain stats stick out and I think the biggest thing the Raptors need to fix is just calming down a little more in games and getting comfortable you know like they're two games into the season it's probably some rust you know like they haven't played in a long long time uh, there was only a few preseason games which isn't which isn't a lot like compared to their usually as I'm like I'm pretty I'm pretty sure there's yeah. usually a little bit more and as well there was no summer league for a lot of the rookies right so a lot of rookies coming into the game don't really know what to expect or don't really have a lot of experience coming into this game so and I don't think fans should be worried like we're two ga- games into the season now I said this earlier and I'm gonna make sure I get this right if through 10 games we are one and nine then I think I'm gonna be a little more worried um not saying that's gonna happen but I'm just saying it, it's a possibility like we played the 76ers as the night is this being recorded they play we play them Tuesday night so the 76ers are two and one but I don't think right now in this current stature people are looking at records and they're they're taking them out of proportion like they were like it was like i was like on instagram and they were like it was like the two and oh nets and the nets were like two and oh they're two and one and they're like oh wow what a start for them it's like it's three games in the season three games doesn't mean jack all to me honestly if you're 15 games in the season and you're like you know 12 and three then i'd say yeah that's a really good start then i'd be like yeah we should notice them but I just, I just hate how people are always so quick to criticize or praise certain teams two, three games into the season, thinking that they're going to win the, win the title this year. You know, like the Bucks are doing bad. Yeah. They lost to the Knicks by 30. It was embarrassing. That was a little bit surprising to me. Uh, and the Nets and the Nets beat the Celtics and everyone's like, okay, well, which we'll get into as well later on about another game of Kyrie and Katie. So I don't think fans should be worried um, and you don't need to hit the panic, but yet, you know, this game is going to be a sure tester of how we, how we continue the season. And I think Nick nurse is going to make adjustments. He's going to realize, okay, you know what? I need to make some adjustments. I need to motivate my players somehow a little bit better. And for him to say, listen, you know, like we're and two, but just don't play like we're and two play. Like we're oh, like we just started the season or I don't know, just play differently and play better enough to um, have some more motivation. I think they're going to come out swinging and I expect them to uh, put up a fight against Philly. Oh yeah. Division rival. Like this is our first, matchup against the Eastern Conference to start the season and I think that's going to have an extra uh, fuel to the fire especially because it is the 76ers and overall i have watching both games that the Raptors have had this season I mean the Pelicans won yeah they had a cold spell in the third quarter you can't really do much about that you, the, the main issue with the Raptors right now is yes they need to work on their three ball the Spurs game yes you did blow a lead late but like I said refs were questionable and I mean yeah, an outstanding game for Chris Boucher, which I am picking him, honestly, as a real real contender for most, most improved player. Thank goodness, because I have him in fantasy. He had, in that Spurs game alone, with his seven blocks and 20-plus points, he had, like, 70 points for me in fantasy, which really clutched up. I also have Matt Thomas, who is looking like a young J.J. Redick out there, and I know there was talks about him training with J.J. in the offseason, and he is really starting to be a very good playmaking also, shooting guard. Also, shout out to Malachi Flynn, man. Like, you know, man's killing it, so... Malachi he hasn't had much time though. I, I, I don't know. Malachi I don't, hasn't I, had much time. I know. I know. I see what. Okay. What? I, maybe it was just preseason that I was talking about. But what I've pre-season, seen like, yeah, preseason. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Pre preseason. Malachi good, hasn't had any no. points yet. I don't think NBA wise. But okay. um, Larry has been playing fine. I don't have any issues with that. Siakam maybe a bit too many threes. But overall, like everybody's complaining, like oh Pascal is back to what he was in the bubble. No, he's not. Pascal is doing better than he was in the bubble. I think Pascal is back. It's just going to take him a bit to get back into the flow of things. Plus, he's had pretty tough tough guards. I mean, LaMarcus Aldrich, while old, is still a pretty good power forward defenseman, uh, defenseman, uh, defender. And going up against Zion and Steven Adams, again, that's tough. But against the 76ers team, you know what to expect with Joel Embiid. So I think that'll be a better matchup for Pascal. We'll truly see how he is tonight. But uh, tonight, as we're recording, obviously. Um, but like overall, the main issue I find with the Raptors is not, not only is their three point shooting bad, but to me, the real issue, and also Aaron Baines, Aaron Baines is fine. I love Aaron Baines. He is going to be a very good Raptor, but my problem right now is OG and Norm. You guys are not playing very well. 
And the ironic thing is, is that and Powell in fantasy. So literally, I would lose points because Powell would miss a shot, but then gain it back immediately because Boucher would make it. And it was like so counterproductive, but I was fine with it because it was getting me some fantasy points because the more Boucher scored, the less Powell lost. I guess. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But I think overall, yeah, the Raptors need to figure out how to get OG more touches, more shots. Powell needs to find the scoring touch again, get back to what he was. And we need to keep feeding the ball to Boucher, keep feeding the ball to Lowry, keep getting these guys hot and keep getting the ball to Siakam, make sure he's staying hot and just have Matt Thomas facilitate. Matt Thomas is going to be a very good uh, young J.J. Redick right now. And yeah, overall, don't, don't worry about it right now. Lots of time left. The NBA is in a weird spot right now. Two games in, no need to panic yet. The Raptors can figure this out. They are a championship-minded team. They're not They're not in a bad spot yet. Don't worry about it. Cav- like I said, Cavs are 3-0. The Cavs are not a 3-0 team on any st- by any stretch of the memes, and they've been playing some pretty meh teams. So don't need to hit the panic button yet. If we beat the Sixers tonight, I'm sure the reputation around the team will change immediately. But even if we don't, still, no need to hit the panic button yet. We have a tough schedule to start out the year. We'll be fine. We'll get back on track. Don't worry about it. Anyways, moving on into our next topic for the NBA early season. The Mavericks absolutely destroyed the Clippers by 51 points. Obviously, the only asterisk to this game was that Kawhi Leonard was not playing in this one after getting hit in the face by Serge Ibaka. Uh, ironically, because he did that to Ibaka a few years ago in the playoffs when they were both on the Raptors. But um, I think my favorite stat out of this game was the fact that if the Clippers, uh, if the Mavs didn't score a single point in the second half of this game, they still would have won by four points. That is my favorite stat out of this game. It was ridiculous. It was 77 to 22 at the half. That's insane that actually that that is the case, actually. I I love stats, and that is a ridiculous one that is going to go down in history. But I loved loved this game uh, for the Mavs. I mean, the Mavs really just took it to the Clippers in this one. That's pretty much all I could say about it. But do you think, Sam, the Clippers – uh, what what sorry first of all what does this say about the importance of Kawhi to the Clippers team and can they bounce back coming back because the Mavs obviously what are you going to do Luka Doncic is that dominant without Kawhi to guard him it's going to be tough but what does this kind of say going forward for the Clippers it's very interesting because what it basically it told the league that whenever you know if Kawhi gets injured or Kawhi takes his nights off because you know because of load management like later down in the season and again, in a 72-game season, a lot of games matter. You know, every game matters in regards to wins and losses. So it's very important to see. Uh, it's it's basically it's telling the league that without the without Kawhi, the Clippers are garbage. They they are not a they are not a good team because Paul George needs to step. Like Paul George didn't have the best team, best game, but we all know that Paul George isn't going to step up. You know, in Kawhi's absence and drop 40. Like it's it's very unlikely that's going to happen or drop like 25 or 30. Um, I think other teams, other players need to step up as well. They just didn't have the, they didn't have a great game. Respect to the Mavs. They came out, they played a game. They didn't mess around. They knew Kawhi wasn't going to be playing. They, they, they game planned properly around that and said, okay, you know, if, if Kawhi's not out there, we can just, you know, get the ball to Luca and Luca's going to score, you know, a bunch of points and it's going to happen. Or, um, and I, I think it's very interesting to see how, you know, the Mavs can be a really good team. Yeah. You know, that's without Kawhi. And I think it's interesting to see, you know, if they play when they play again this season, which they will, um, what the difference is if Kawhi is back, you know, what, the, what that difference will make. And if the, if the Mavs can win and if the Mavs still win and beat the Clippers, then it just makes it even worse. Cause then it's like, okay, the Mavs are still a better team than the Clippers, but by lose by 51. And I think it was Kendrick. I know I, I, I hate to be quoting Kendrick Perkins, but he makes a good point here. All he's saying is I know it's, I know it's probably not all he said is, and I'm just going to take a very base quote. He said, to be down by 51 is one thing, but to not fight back is another thing. And I totally agree with that. It's that if you're down by 51, yeah, it's hard to fight back. It's very hard to fight back, but you, and, and they tried their hardest, you know, they, they were, they just miss, they were just missing shots, but they just looked, I was looking at some highlights. They just looked tired. They looked they're like they just had no morale to go out there and try to forge a comeback. You know, and it's tough because when you're down by 50 at halftime, um, it's very tough morally to come back and to see how can we bounce back and how can we do this? And I, I don't know if they can really like, I don't know, they're one and two, if they can really bounce back from it, but it's important. It's an important statement to see 
the difference that in the, the effect that Kawhi has because and I'm just going to say this, that when Kawhi, you know, was resting, the Raptors had a decent record. The Raptors had a decent record. You know, we did all right without Kawhi, without Kawhi playing on certain nights. Yeah, we didn't win every game, but we win a majority of games. Now, I'm not saying that's that's a difference here, but all I'm saying is that there's a difference between a team that can support a star and a team that cannot support a star. And I think right now the Clippers are hanging on to Kawhi as their star and they cannot they, they, like, they can't really support him because they're not winning games without him. Yeah, it's one game, but to lose by 51, you know, if they lost by two or three points, it'd be, a, it'd be you know, it wouldn't be that bad, you know. It wasn't Kawhi, you know, they lost by two or three points. They, they put up a good effort, you know. They were, they were close with the Mavs, so they're a competitive team. But you lose by 51, it just shows you that, it just makes a statement to the league that Kawhi Leonard is, is crucial to the Clippers' success because if Kawhi were ever to leave again, or, you know, for further be injured or like have, or have some type of other injury, then it's just going to prove that, yeah, Kawhi Leonard is super crucial to the Clippers. And I think they can bounce back. But again, it's, it's highly unlikely again. Um, the important, yeah, like that's only with Kawhi in their lineup. It seems that they have success right now. Yeah, I agree. The Clippers are such an interesting team right now. And I think if this is indicative of what the Clippers season is going to be, I see Kawhi leaving in the offseason very quickly. And potentially to a return back to Toronto. Hey, I don't think people would be opposed to that. But um, I mean, yeah, like the fact that the fact I, I actually agree with Kendrick Perkins for once, which is very difficult for me to say, but um, I mean, Kawhi is very important to this Clippers team. There's no doubt about that. It's going to be tough for them to bounce back and keep going uh, this season. Uh, I think for them, and it's going to be interesting to see how they can gel. Cause obviously with the Mavs and Clippers, when they play each other, um, Kawhi is the counter to Luka Doncic. Doncic destroyed the Clippers in this game because he just went out there and there was nobody to guard him. Paul George is not a good enough defender to guard uh, Luka Doncic. Uh, Kawhi is the only counter for that. And without that, there was no way there was not only a lack of scoring from the small forward position for the Clippers, but there was also a lack of stops on the defensive end because not only can Kawhi guard Doncic, but he can also guard multiple other people. And just his presence with this team really adds that leadership factor. And what the Clippers really need, if they want to keep going after the season or after this game is, you know, that one, I guess it's a meme vine thing, you know, uh, it's usually uh, related to like war zone and stuff like that. There's it's, there's no passion, there's no vision, there's no motivation, there's no execution in this football club. I think uh, it's some weird accent. I'm not even going to try to imitate it, but you know what I mean, right? Like they needed a good firing up after this one. I think the fact that they don't have Doc Rivers uh, anymore could be also an interesting thing because, I mean, I think he would have done that last year. I don't even know who their coach is right now. Ty, Ty, Ty Lu is their coach, the former Oh, yeah, coach, Ty so. Oh, my gosh. And apparently, I don't know exactly what his response is, but he apparently had some hilarious two-word response to whatever their 51-point losses. But I totally agree with you. I think a guy like Doc Rivers or a Dwayne Casey, you know, like an old-school coach that Nick just really <laughs> would, like, yell at them. Like, just be brutally yeah. honest and just be like, listen, you guys suck. Like, you guys are terrible. Like, you need to wake up and smell the roses and get better because that's what they need. Like, Ty Lue is going to go in there and be like, great job, guys. You know, you tried your best. Here was the participation <laughs> badge. Like, he's like... He's like, he's a little like soft, you like know, the like old Cavs after yeah. LeBron pretty much like yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Like when, when LeBron left the Cavs just deep down because Ty Lue wasn't like, and I don't know exactly what the like status of Ty Lue as a coach is going forward of like, if he's a Hall of Fame coach or not. But if you look at it, I think that team was heavily influenced by LeBron and Kyrie and oh, their success was, their success was warranted by that. Like a hundred percent. There's no way Ty Lue did anything with that Cavs team. It no. was all LeBron running the show. Ty Lue was just the the face, the the fish faced looking guy. He was, was he was the pretty he was the pretty boy that was like, oh, I'm the coach of the Cavs. Boy, he's the he's the pretty un I don't know. He's the pretty boy. He, like he's just the poster boy. Like the poster boy is whatever. Yeah. He's just like okay, here's our head coach. Um, you know, it's kind of like it's kind of like the uh, the net situation where Kyrie was like, oh, we don't need a head coach. That was pretty much them. Like the Cavs, they yeah. probably didn't need Ty Lue. They could have won games without him. Obviously, of you know, course, first right. game of the season, Kyrie yeah. is like, hey, we actually like Steve Nash. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he, he walks back to. I, I guess. I, anyways, we're not going to get into that, but regardless, but I think with this whole situation, I think that 
that's the biggest problem is that the Clippers don't have a coach like that. Yeah, Doc Rivers is fired because, you know, whatever reason, and Ty Lue might be the answer, might not be the answer, but you need a guy like a Dwayne Casey to come in there and be like, hey, listen, like, you guys suck. Like, you guys really suck there, and you need to pick it up because losing by 51, yeah, the Mavs are a good team, but you pretty, much lost, you pretty much lost Luka Doncic. You pretty much lost Luka Doncic. That's what it was. So that, that, It's just an embarrassing loss It's overall. an embarrassing loss as well. Like, just – it's embarrassing regardless. Anyways. Last, uh, moving on into our last game of the day, just quickly talking about. So clearly, Kyrie and KD can score. Is it enough to win games for the Nets, though? And will their scoring create an unbalance on the team's overall performance? And I think one other thing, just quickly on the Nets, is the fact that Spencer Dinwiddie is out for the entire rest of the season. That is also going to be a, a factor in their record. But do you think KD and Kyrie can lead this te- Nets team to victory, Sam? Or will the fact that Spencer Dinwiddie is out? and a lot of their other players aren't getting as many touches, really have a factor. It's very interesting because, yeah, Spencer Dinwiddie, if they had Dinwiddie, honestly, in the like in the lineup, I think it'd be much differently. I think their chances for um, pushing for a late playoff run would be much more higher, I think, with Spencer Dinwiddie. But again, like you said as well, like with the touches and stuff, if Kyrie and KD are getting 90% of the touches or 80, 75% of the touches or 80% of the touches, whatever that percentage number is, it's a high number for sure then it creates an unbalance in the score on the team's overall scoring, right? Because we saw as well, I think it was in some games, you know, Kyrie and Kevin Durant can score 20, 30 plus points in both. I think like, I'm just, I'm just going to quick pull up their games. Um, see if I can find. Cause no, I'm they combined sure for 70 in the one. Yeah. The, they've, they've scored, they combined for like 66 in the one game and uh, let's see four in the other. I want to say. Yeah, so Kevin Durant had 29 points. Kyrie had 37 in their Christmas Day game against the uh, the Celtics. That's one. And then against the Warriors, they had, let's see, Kevin Durant had 22. Kyrie had 26. So, again, another high number. But if you look at the rest of the guy, Joel Harris had 10 points. DeAndre Jordan had four points. Karis LeVert had 20 points, which is a good addition. But Spencer Didwee had nine. DeAndre Jordan, four. Like, there's three guys on the roster with maybe a subpar, like, 10 points or less, yeah. you know? And I think that's if that's their identity for, like, okay, we're going to just let these two guys score. I don't know, especially with Spencer Dinwiddie out, because Dinwiddie in that game, he had 20 points. So if he's not playing, that's 20 less points. That LeVert you're had to... 20 points. Yeah, Dinwiddie sorry, had LeVert, yeah, LeVert, yeah, LeVert had 20 points. But, I mean, yeah, like, LeVert could be the guy. But if you don't have a guy like a Spencer Dinwiddie um, to score, you know, at least that extra 10 points, it just, like, it's really, like, because the interesting game about, thing about basketball is that, it's like every player scores amount of points, right? And if you lose one player, that means you lose whatever they produce in points, even if it's 10 points a game. And that, that can be a difference, you know? So I think that yeah. the loss of Spencer Dinwiddie is huge. And I think that, I don't know exactly if it's enough, but I think they can win enough games to make them into the playoffs. Um, oh. I don't know exactly, I, for sure, it's, but I just don't know them to be like a super hyped up. They're not going to be, because so many people are hyping them up and stuff like that after like, you know, a two and one start. They're like, oh, wow, look at these great, you know, because they can board. Yeah, they can score. They're two of the best players in the league. But is that going to always equate to winning? Because we've seen that before with teams like with the Rockets, where James Harden will drop 45, 50 points a night. And the, game, the team, like with other players as well, is that you need offensive scoring distribution. If you don't have that scoring distribution, then you're going to lose some games because players are just going to be taking too many shots. And the difference is the fact that Kyrie and KD are scoring effectively, which is the difference between like a James Harden, you know, taking a bunch of shots or like even a Russ Westbrook taking a bunch of shots. So I think they can win games, but I don't see them winning enough to be like, they're going to go win the finals. It's going to be close though, for sure. Well, see the greatest finals winning teams, like the Raptors from 2019, for example, are deep. They have a lot of guys who can average like 10 points, at least a game or 20 points a game, or just solid overall full complete effort. And if you have two guys that are scoring all the points, then some of the guys, uh, some of the bench players will be slacking a little bit. Like Joe Harris is a really consistent shooter. And if he doesn't get enough touches, he's going to slowly lose the amount of the, the uh, his percentages. And he's going to slowly lose. Like he is a guy that once he hits two shots, he is hot. He can hit and go out and hit like five more. And then he's good for the rest of the game. But if you give him like one shot in the first and two shots in the fourth, like he's not going to be consistent enough to be a top of the line help to your team. And I think that's something Katie and Kyler Kyrie will learn. And I think as well with these teams where they have a dynamic duo um, and especially with two guys like Kyrie and KD, the rest of the guys on the team are going to notice, Hey, they're not going to be passing the ball as much to us. 
And that might cause a rift in chemistry. And a guy like Karis LeVert, who is a up-and-coming star, yes, he did have 20 points in the first game of the season. But say he goes out and has only five on uh, the one night, even though he went, like, one for two from the field uh, and had a couple free throws or something like that. Like, if they don't pass him the ball and they just jack up shots and try to isolate and just do that, then Karis LeVert is going to be like, hey, where's my points? Where are my touches? Where is my chance to help out this team? And I wonder if that creates a bit of a rift. And I think that'll be um, seen maybe a bit more in the playoffs as well. Because I do think this Nets team, no matter what, is going to be a playoff team. It's just going to be a matter of how far can they go. And to me, I don't think, with especially with the loss of Spencer Dinwiddie, they will have enough depth and enough scoring to make it all the way to a finals at this point. I think they are for sure a very overhyped team right now. And I think one point as well that you're just kind of talking about as well. So kind of looking at some of the other games as well, the two, the two past games where they lost, they lost against the Hornets. Uh, Kevin Durant had 29, Kyrie Irving had 25. And then you look at everyone else, 13 for Joe Harris, one for DeAndre Jordan, five for Spencer Dinwiddie, 10 for Karis LeVert, eight for Jared Allen, 11 for Timothy Luwawu, Cabaret, which I think is surprising to be a decently player. Actually, I think he's going to probably be a bit of a surprise. Like he had eleven points. TLC is a really good player. <laughs> yeah, TLC he had. Yeah, yeah, TLC also is known as yeah. So he had a, he had eleven points as well. But then if you look at the Nets game again, or if you look at the Grizzlies game versus the Nets, of course they're not playing. But then Timothy, like TLC, steps up. He got twenty-one points. Uh, Tareen Prince is nine. Uh, Karis Avert is 28, Chris Chayosa is 14. So, like, these players can, you know, score. These players can score yeah. points. Joe Harris, like, but, again, again, their their whole motto is, like, okay, Kyrie and Kevin Durant are there to score. And if that's their motto, then it's like, but you have to allow other players to have touches because, like you said as well, like, you're going to rely to Joe Harris on a fourth quarter three-point shot and he's not going to hit it because he's only had, like, three or four touches in the whole game then he's probably not going to hit it. You know, he might lose the game then off that shot. Maybe he, he won't be taking the last shot probably because you have Kate Kyrie and Kevin Durant. But regardless, he's going to be cold in the fourth quarter. If you said, like like you said as well, your example is like, you know, one shot in the first and one shot in the fourth. He's not going to be, you have to give him consistent touches, even if he's like, you know, a guy that's coming off the bench, you know? And I think like when you look at these championship winning rosters, like you said as well, um, even again, look at the Lakers, the Lakers were very deep last year as well. You know, they had a lot of guys that can, you know, Kevin, like they did have LeBron James and Anthony Davis who scored a lot of points, but they also had a guy like Rajon Rondo who still averaged and they, who still gave them touches, you know, they weren't too ball hog type, you know, they weren't those types of players. And I think that's what the Nets have to do. Um, and again, like, we don't know actually how many, how many games they're going to sit out, you know, like with Kyrie and KD, are they going to sit out always together? Because they did sit out again um, versus the, like, where is he? When they, when they versus the Grizzlies. Grizzlies. Yeah, versus the Grizzlies. Um, and they're back to back, you know, obviously they're going to rest them. Are they always going to rest both of them or just going to be one of the two? It's probably going to be both of them to be, to be perfectly honest. Um, they play Wednesday, they play Wednesday, which is technically when you'd be hearing this, but they play Wednesday night against the Hawks, which hopefully they'll be playing both, uh, both stars. And we'll kind of see, it's just very interesting. Like you said, as well, the scoring distribution and if it's going to be enough, it's going to be very close, but I, it's going to be, I don't know. It's, it's a yes or no regards to if, if they can win or not. I think the only other thing, just quickly before we wrap this up, is I think Steve Nash is going to want to create a team atmosphere, if I know Steve Nash. And he is going to – I wonder if that creates a bit of a rift between player and coach because it's going to be, hey, I'm the star player, I do what I want, but the coach is saying, no, you have to win this as a team. And I wonder how that plays out for the rest of the season as well. Yeah, that's a very good point. That wraps up our NBA early season reaction regarding the first week of NBA action action after the Raptors get off to a bit of a slow start. The Mavs absolutely destroy the Clippers and the Nets get off to a two and one start with Katie and Kyrie. That wraps up this episode of season two of on the rise podcast. You should follow our Instagram at rise podcast, listen in on midtownradio.ca and visit our website on the rise podcast.ca. We will see you on Saturday.